Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to our second week in our sermon series uh, <laughs> uh, called The Presence and the Power. And so this series is focused on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so to begin tonight's message, I'm going to ask you all a very simple question. Um, maybe, who knows, you'll decide. Um, when was the last time uh, you felt tempted to sin? Easy, right? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, maybe it was earlier today. Maybe it was while you were on your way to work. Maybe it was while you were on, in line at Chick-fil-A. Maybe it was when you came into Mosaic. Maybe it's happening right now as you sit in your seat. Because the reality is that we all face this thing called temptation. You know, being a Christian does not remove that experience from your life. Uh, so I have a follow-up question. Maybe it's a, a little simpler. Uh, did you give in to that temptation? Okay. Very quiet. I like it. How did it feel? Did it, did it feel good? I mean, I, I imagine maybe, because like why else would you be tempted to do it if it didn't maybe make you feel good? But if you're anything like me, maybe you have this internal groveling session where you beat yourself up because you did it again. Or you, you didn't resist temptation and so you gave in to your sin. And, and if you feel like you actually enjoyed it, you feel this double serving of guilt. And so you feel so ashamed with yourself because you just can't seem to make any headway against the temptation and conquering these sin patterns in your life, so you're convinced at this point you can't go to anybody for help and you for sure can't go to Jesus because why would he want you in your mess? And at the end of the cycle of sin, you're just left with this thought of like, why? If I just had resisted temptation, maybe I wouldn't feel this. And listen, this is a conversation I just genuinely think we, we, we need to have as a church because the pattern I just described to you, I, I know it's more than just my experience. That, that, that pattern of, of sin and then uh, the pattern of temptation, sin, shame, and then repeat. It's like this terrible wash cycle. 
And, and it's what drives many young adults away and many just people away from being disciples of Jesus. And I think part of it is because as people, we have no idea how to handle our, our experience with temptation. The conversations we have as a community tend to over overlook temptation as a whole or give it very little attention. We, we end up having a conversation like this. You know, you tell somebody you're struggling, you go, oh, so you're struggling with that sin, hmm? Well, let me tell you, you know, Jesus died for your sin. So like, don't enslave yourself to the thing that Jesus freed you from. And you're like, wow, tweet that bad boy, putting that on my Instagram story. Or maybe the conversation goes like, wow, so proud of you for confessing your sin to me. Like, like, I know it was hard for you to share your brokenness, but let me tell you, you know, Jesus knew the person he died for. So, so you don't have to have shame anymore. And so you feel so validated and seen and you're in tears and thankful that Jesus loves you despite your shortcomings. And I'm not making light of any of those things because both are actual gospel realities. Okay, your sin has no right over you and Christ has invited you into his throne room of grace. But how are we to handle that moment when you're looking at your sin in front of you and you actually want it so badly? Like, you know you shouldn't give in to it, but, but, but it feels so good. So, so what do you do when temptation comes your way? You're supposed to fight it. You're supposed to fight it. And, and, and we hear that Jesus forgives our sins and loves us deeply. And in the midst of that, we actually forget that we're meant to fight against our temptations and our sins. We use the love of God as an excuse to live in sin. But what many of us have done is we've trained ourselves to be okay with, with giving into our temptations because we just think it's impossible to not give in. Oh, the Lord knows my heart. He knows I'm trying. Anyone say that before? So we feel like we're just powerless to resist our temptations. We're, we're powerless to, to step away from our sins. And then begins that vicious cycle of temptation, sin, shame. And it's just over and over and over. But I want you to know this tonight, that God has provided every single one of his people a way to resist temptation and to have victory over your sin. But it is not done in your own strength. So tonight, as we look at this passage in Matthew, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit aids disciples of Jesus in resisting and overcoming their temptation and sin. So we'll be in the book of Matthew chapter four, as we just read. And, and as we move through the evening, I want us to consider just two things. Why temptation exists and how we are to resist temptation. Those are the two things we're gonna tackle tonight. So leading up to the scene in Matthew 4, I'll give you a little bit of context, just in case you haven't read up to this part, but we find that Jesus in chapter 3 has been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. So Jesus gets John to agree to the baptism, and Jesus is submerged in the Jordan River, and when he comes up, the book of Matthew says that the skies were opened. And like in TV or a movie or animated depiction of this scene, it's typically like this really serene moment where the clouds part and there's this amazing glow. It's, it's peaceful and you can hear the angel choirs going, ah, and it's like really nice. But it's actually nothing like that. It's actually more like this thunderous splitting of the sky. Imagine the thunder you hear in the, in the middle of a Florida summer storm overhead, but like on max. 
Because in, in Mark's account of this moment, um, in Mark 1.10, it says, not that the, the, the skies were opened, but it says that the heavens were ripped apart, split apart. And this was the gospel writer's attempt of describing the immense power that was being displayed in that moment. And so the power of God was at hand before Jesus and, the, and, and, his, and John the Baptist. And, and as God splits the heavens open, what happens next? It says the spirit of God descended in the form of a dove and rested upon Jesus. And so what's happening in this scene is that the power of God is being placed upon Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now, before we uh, go into Matthew 4, this, we have to know this one detail. Jesus in his humanity did not have the Holy Spirit residing in him. If you, didn't, if you didn't know that, because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not reside permanently in people. This just wasn't, a, that's a New Testament reality that we'll read about later. Because if Jesus did have the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit would not have to rest upon him in this scene. And this is important to note because many of us never really consider how did Jesus do all that he did? It's because the Holy Spirit resided upon him. And so Jesus up to this point had faced the exact same limitations as we did, but now those limitations are starting to dissipate because the power of God is resting on Jesus. So knowing this, let's turn to Matthew chapter four. Let's read verses one through four again. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, being the devil, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, the very, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as soon as Jesus is finished being baptized, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what the Spirit does to Jesus. Jesus is led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I think it's quite interesting that Jesus is being tempted. Like, like have you ever thought about Jesus struggling to avoid sin? But it's true. In his humanity, Jesus was tempted. In fact, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15 states that Jesus was tempted in the ways we are, but the only difference is that he did not sin ever. But now before we answer the question of how do we resist sin and how does the Holy Spirit help us resist our sin, we have to first answer the question, why does temptation even exist? Like we're so used to it that we don't even ask why. Like, why, does, why do I feel tempted? Even as a Christian, I, I know when I was not saved, I had sin conquering my life. But now that I am saved, why is it that temptation seems to have still a control over my life? So temptation is the invitation to sin with the implied promise of greater good to be derived from following the way of disobedience. Hey, Dave, can you get that up there? Temptation is an invitation to sin with the implied promise of greater good to be derived from following the way of disobedience. So essentially, temptation is the lie that you can provide a greater good for yourself than God can, okay? Now, temptation in and of itself is not a sin, but it becomes a sin when we yield to the temptation, when we give ourselves over to the end result of it. 
This is why Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus faced temptation without sinning. The temptation itself wasn't the sin, but giving into it is. And so the devil tempts Jesus on three occasions here in this passage. And he tries to convince Jesus to question the goodness of God. This is often a tactic of the enemy. So I'll read this together. Verse three, this is what the tempter says. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Uh, th this makes sense, right? Because, you know, Jesus had been fasting for four days and 40 nights. Our brother's gonna get hungry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can barely skip lunch without being cranky. So 40 days, Jesus is hungry, okay? And so the devil here is trying to get Jesus to think, your father won't take care of you, so you go and get the food you need. Then in verse five, the devil took Jesus to the holy city, being Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against stone. So here the devil twists scripture to trick Jesus. And he did the, he, Jesus, listen, the devil's not very creative. He does the same thing over and over again. He did the exact same thing in Genesis 3 when he tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God. But here, the devil is trying to get Jesus to think, your father is not trustworthy. So take power on your own accord. And then verse eight, this is what Jesus, this is what happens. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, Jesus would be glorified on the cross and the cross would be immensely painful and excruciating. And so Jesus, so Satan was promising Jesus, you could have the glory without the suffering. Essentially, you could have the glory without being obedient to the father. So if your father loved you, he wouldn't make you go through suffering. But all three of these are lies and in all three circumstances, the way that Jesus responds to these moments is that he rebuttals the devil with the word of God and eventually the devil flees. But it's no mistake that the devil comes to, say, to, to Jesus in Matthew chapter four. You see, Jesus had not yet begun his public ministry and he hadn't done so because he hadn't received the, the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So in order for Jesus to do all the things that we read about, you know, healing, healing the sick and, and, and causing the blind to see and the lame to walk, all of that happened as an accord because he had the power of the Holy Spirit residing inside of him. So in order for Jesus to accomplish his role as savior, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit, but that hasn't happened. So what happens right before Jesus is tempted? Baptized, filled with the Spirit, and on his way to go begin his public ministry, who shows up? The devil. And notice that the devil did not use force against Jesus. He didn't come and send legions of demons or anything like that. Instead, he tried to deter and distract Jesus from his mission. Because the devil knows, and we need to know this, the devil knows he cannot rise against God. Like if you're gonna equate these two things, it's not. Like it's not like Jesus and Satan go toe to toe. Like Satan always slaps. I mean, Jesus always, oh, Jesus always slaps the devil. And so instead, Satan tries to deter and distract Jesus from his mission. See, the devil cannot stop the works of God but he can distract the people of God. 
And temptation is one of the ways that the devil engages in distracting us from completing, as Ephesians 2.10 says, the good works of Christ that he's prepared for us to complete. So this is what we need to know. When you resolve, when you decide to radically commit yourself to the mission of Jesus, you will experience spiritual warfare. That's exactly what happens to Jesus here in Matthew 4. It's because the devil knows the kind of works that Jesus is going to perform. It's acts of redemption and restoration that ultimately brings the demise of the kingdom of darkness. But then, John, but then in John 14, 12, it says that those who believe in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, will do the works that Jesus does. What it's saying is that the mission of Jesus becomes our mission. And so the devil knows that's what we're called to do. And you know why? Because... Believe it or not, the devil knows the word of God better than most of us in this room. He's done it the whole time. Like even, even here, he recites scripture back to Jesus in Matthew 4, 6. He says, it's written in your word, right? But he tries to twist it there. So when we, as the people of God, engage in acts of redemption and restoration, we are going to come face to face with the kingdom of darkness. Okay? Like this, I... I I don't know, I don't think we talk about it enough in, in the Western church, but, but there is a battle that goes beyond what our eyes can see, and it is a spiritual battle. And so when we come and we act as the hands and feet of Jesus, you know, we talk about, you know, we, we put these stories and like on Instagram of like how lives were transformed. And it's like, wow, it's so amazing. I can't believe this person's life was radically changed. But what was happening under the surface is that literally someone was ripped from the darkest pits of hell and brought to the kingdom of light in Jesus. That's not a pretty thing. And so when we commit ourselves to engaging in acts of restoration and redemption, we meet face to face with Satan and his cronies and the darkness. And he does not take that lightly because he knows that if we accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, the kingdom of darkness will come to an end. But we have to know where these sources of temptation come from because without knowing, we won't know what to defend from. And so the three main sources that we of, of temptation in our day-to-day -day lives. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I didn't mean to use my middle finger for the devil. It just happened to be what just happened there. So just, that's just what it is. I'll do it, I'll do it separately. Uh, I don't care. It's the, anyway, so the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? In Ephesians chapter two, it says about humanity. Paul says, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So before any of us accepted Christ in faith and had the blood of Jesus cleanse us and seal us, we were all enslaved to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. Okay, those three things. And the reason why temptation exists and the reason why we face temptation as Christians is because the world, the flesh, and the devil want us back in their possession. And if they cannot accomplish that, which they cannot, they will try to make it impossible for us to live life with God. The mantra of sin is if they can't have us, no one can. And I mention all of this partly because as we engage in this series as a community on the Holy Spirit, you should expect spiritual warfare. 
The closer you grow to God is the more the devil will seek to devour you because the closer we grow to God, the more of a threat we are to the kingdom of darkness. Because imagine, imagine if all of us would live more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. What could Orlando look like? Like, like Jesus flipped the Roman Empire on its head with just a few handful of people. And that was a Roman Empire. I mean, we're not talking just Orlando. We're talking like, like half the world flipped on its head. And Jesus did not do that with a sword or an army, but he did it with the power of God. And as a result, the kingdom of God was ushered in. Could that happen here in Orlando? Yes, it can. It is no wonder then that the devil will go to any lengths to detract us from fulfilling our mission as the people of God. But along with the mission means temptation will come. And sometimes it will be a pattern of pleasure that you used to cope with life. Sometimes it will be a person from your past that you had a close relationship with. Sometimes you are the own source of your own temptation. Like sometimes we often attribute that all of our sinful actions is out there, but really sometimes we invite ourselves into sin. But here's the thing about invitations. You have one of two options with invitations. You accept it or you reject it. And the same is said about temptation. Remember, you're not slaves to the world, to the flesh, or to the devil. You owe it no obligation. You don't have to RSVP yes. In fact, you don't even have to RSVP no. You just rip it up and throw it in the garbage where it belongs. Instead, I would just urge you to resist temptation and to move away from sin. And I say that not flippantly, arrogantly, or forcefully. I say it as a fellow struggler myself. It's not easy. I know there are many of us in this room who have been resisting the temptation from a particular sin and you feel exhausted. Me too. But the question is, if Jesus promises us the Spirit, how then do we use the Spirit or how do we even resist this thing we call temptation? Let's reread Matthew 4.1. But I want you to focus on the activity of the Spirit. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness. Okay? Mark, in another, in another gospel's author, actually uses a stronger word. In Mark's retelling of this story, the, word, the Greek word that he uses is that the Spirit <laughs> flung Jesus into the wilderness. He wasn't like, he's like, hey, buddy, come on. He goes like, no, let's, you got to go to the wilderness. So there's some agency there, some purpose behind why Jesus needs to go into the wilderness. And as I read this text, and I've read it time and time again, I had to ask myself, why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? So the Greek word for wilderness is this word called uh, aremos. And it can mean the lonely place, the desolate place, the deserted place, the silent place, or the solitary place all the places that extroverts would hate, but it is just where he went. And so the spirit leads Jesus to the, air, to the Ramos, but why? Matthew says it's to be tempted by the devil, but, but could not the spirit have guided Jesus anywhere and the devil could have shown up? What is it about the wilderness that made the spirit lead Jesus to that place? 
See, the reason why Jesus is led into the wilderness is because it is in the aramos, it is in the solitary place, it is in the lonely place where Jesus could most intimately meet with the Spirit of Jesus, uh, Spirit of God. It is in the wilderness where Jesus would have been able to be void of any distraction. Like, think about this for a moment. No Instagram, no, no emails, no computers. Like, imagine just being in solitary confinement, void of any distraction. I know it sounds terrible. Sometimes it feels really good. There'd be no people, no cities, no, no activities. There was just him and the spirit of God. And we know this because in Luke 4, it says that Jesus was full of the spirit when he was led into the wilderness and was continually led by the spirit in the wilderness for the 40 days and 40 nights. So for 40 days, the dynamic that existed between Jesus and the spirit was this. The spirit told Jesus where to go and, and Jesus said, okay, let's go. You got that way? Let's go that way. Spirit goes this way? He went that way. But how is it that Jesus knew where the Spirit was leading? Like, have you ever had that thought? Like, how, like, how do I know it's the Spirit? Or how do I know it's the voice of God? Like, is it like this gut feeling or I just have too much dairy for lunch? Like, you know, like, what, like, explain to me. I can't, I won't be able to give you a full answer tonight because God speaks to everyone a little bit differently. But I want you to notice that it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. But what was Jesus doing over the course of 40 days? He was fasting. Now, fasting is a spiritual discipline that Christians are called to enter into because it allows for us to more heavily rely on the strength and presence of the Spirit in our lives. And so typically we, we would fast from food, um, but it can be anything that we rely on to, for an extended period of time that we rely on to get us through the day, like coffee, <laughs> you know? Everyone's like, are you calling me to... I'm not telling you to give up coffee. I'm just saying an example. And if you're convicted... That's the spirit. Just want you to know, like, if you feel it. But if you want to know where the spirit of God is leading you, you have to engage in practices that will allow you to have intimacy with him. Here's why this is important. Because in order to resist temptation successfully, two things must happen. You obey the spirit and have intimacy with the spirit. Because it is only, it is only after obeying the Spirit and engaging with the Spirit that Jesus is able to contend with the devil and his temptations. Because it was in obedience and intimacy with the Spirit that Jesus was able to access the power and authority of the Spirit. So Jesus going into the wilderness was about developing the spiritual strength necessary for Jesus to fight against temptation. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness because after 40 days of fasting and silence, Jesus was at the height of his spiritual power. Then and only then did Jesus have what was needed to take on the devil face to face. I'm like, let me ask you a serious question. Like, do you think you could take the devil right now? Like, if he showed up before you, would you be able to look at him in the face and not fear? But Jesus was able to. And you're just like, that's Jesus, okay? I'm like the little kid behind him and goes, yeah, you take care of him. No. Jesus invited us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can't be the hands and feet of Jesus behind Jesus. We, we, we act in accordance with Jesus. And we may often wonder, why is it that we never seem to have any progress in our fight against temptation and sin? And it's because we're combating with the wrong weapons. See, combating temptation and sin with the Holy Spirit is the only way for you to gain victory. The only way. 
You can try in your strength all you want, but we will all grow exhausted at some point. See, Ephesians 6.12 says, 6, says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so as we engage in the mission of Jesus to be people of redemption and restoration, you will be met with evil, but evil can only be conquered by the power of the spirit of God. And the devil will come to you as you engage in battle. But he doesn't just do it when you engage in battle, he'll do it when you least expect it. He will come and he'll whisper lies and try to tempt you to get you to reject the way of Jesus. So what are we to do? Obedience, intimacy, that's our battle. Here's something that I've begun to learn over the last year. Obedience unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't put that on a mug because it doesn't seem like really that great. <laughs> Obedience leads to power. I've never seen that happen. But here's why. Because while the Spirit of God is the one who leads us, the Spirit of, the, of, of, of God is not the one who sends us. See, the Spirit is the helper and the guide, but the one who sends us is the Father. And so where God the Father sends you, he provides for you. And so the Spirit will only guide you where the Father has sent you. And where he has sent you, the Spirit will provide for you. So as we follow the way of Jesus, God will send us all to different places. Some will make sense, some won't make any sense at all, but in either circumstance, God provides the Spirit so that we would have all that we need to accomplish the works he has set out before us. And so as we move forward in obedience to God, temptation will come, it's a given, but walking in obedience allows us to walk in spiritual power and authority. And it is not our power or authority, but in the power and authority of God, the one who is the king of kings. If you knew that, would you be able to face Satan face to face? I bet maybe you would. So this is a call for us now to step in line with the Spirit as Galatians 5.25. For if we live by the Spirit, he says, then we are to keep in step with the Spirit so that we would not give in to the temptations of the enemy. This is how Jesus lived. And the second key to us resisting temptation is intimacy with the Spirit. Because while obedience unleashes the power of God, Intimacy grants us access to the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we, we will not obey what we do not love. And we will, we will not love what we are far from. So Jesus demonstrated what life of intimacy with the Spirit looked like. Throughout the Gospels, on 25 occasions, you see that Jesus was described as someone who would wake up early and go to be alone with the Father in prayer. Jesus spent time in God's word. I would argue he probably spent a ton of time with it because Jesus actually memorized God's word. Notice how he battles the devil. He just recites it. The devil tempts and he goes, no, this is what, the God, this is what God said. He said, but did God say this? He goes, no, this is what God said. He didn't combat it by feelings or extravagance. He fought it with the very word of God that he guarded in his heart. Psalm 119, 11 says that we are to hide God's word in our heart so that we would not sin against him. 
And then Ephesians 6, 17 says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And so imagine what you do with the sword. You don't just keep it in its sheath and go, I have a sword. You take it out and you fight. But then it says that Jesus also fasted. And here it's for 40 days. And it's, listen, it's not about the length of time. I'm not calling you to go home today and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. The point of this is, is that Jesus understands how necessary it is for him to be intimate with the Spirit. So know this tonight. We are able to resist temptation and sin. And we do that by developing rhythms of intimacy and obedience with the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, then and only then will we have the spiritual strength necessary to say no to the things that seek to kill our soul. So we all have temptations that seek to invite us in to sin. I mean, there's just so many temptations out there, right? Like we don't have to, to look for them. It finds us like, like you're just, like you could be just cleaning in your home and it's like, temptation, just right there. You're driving your car, temptation. You know, it's kind of like that dog from up, it's like squirrel, but it's like that with temptation, temptation. It's just like, it's just there. And when it's there all the time, it becomes so draining because you're like, I, I can't and I can't and I can't and it becomes exhausting. So what's been draining you lately? Is it anger, is it jealousy, gossip, sex, pride, money, comparison, discontentment, control? Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's one of them. I, I know a lot of these call out to me on a daily basis. This message wasn't easy for me to write because I, I knew that I'd want to share with you that transformation is possible. And I wanted it to be real. And so I wanted it to offer where I've seen the greatest transformation in my own life. And so I was about 10 or 11 years old when I was first exposed to pornography. And I can actually remember the exact details of that night where I was on the bed, the color of the room, even this, I can, I can remember it all. And a lot of it stems from just curiosity, a young boy wanting to know about sex. But, but, but over time, it became less about curiosity and more about masking my insecurity as a man. And, and growing up in church, uh, like I knew I wasn't supposed to watch it, but, but I didn't really know how to stop. And, and frankly, I didn't really want to. It felt good. Granted, I, I didn't really follow Jesus until I was about in college. But even after I did devote myself to following Jesus, it was still really a struggle for me. And it became less of a struggle than before, but it still had a really big grip in my life. And it wasn't until I turned about 22 or 23 where I would actually start engaging with the Spirit of God and having His power aid me in my battle against pornography. And trust me, I needed the help because for over a decade of my life, I had this sin calling all the shots in my life. No matter how many times I white-knuckled it, eventually I would fail and give in. And you may not like to hear this, but even as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, it was really hard for me to resist my sin. But here's where the shift happened. 
happened when I finally started to recognize that I needed to invite the Spirit into every part of my process. So if the Spirit, if the temptation began to arise, I'd stop what I was doing and say, Holy Spirit, I need your power and your presence. Would you remind me how much God loves me and how much pornography kills me? And I wish I could tell you that's all it was and then I was fine from there. I would fail many times. I'd fail a lot. I failed a lot. I thought God didn't hear me. But then eventually the Holy Spirit gave me the courage and boldness to confess my sins to both the Father and to my community. And there are men here who know my story and have walked with me through it. Praise God for them. And I asked the Holy Spirit to remind me that despite my sin, God did love me and that there was no condemnation for me. And I began to pray even when I wasn't being tempted because I knew that, that temptation could always be around the corner. And so I began praying like Matthew 6. I said, Father, would you lead me away from temptation to deliver me from evil so that I could just always be dependent on God? And as I began to become more obedient to the Spirit, I be, honestly, I became more free. It's how I can share this story because honestly, I wouldn't have it in me to tell you if I didn't. In fact, I probably wouldn't preach this message if I didn't believe that the gospel was powerful enough to release you from the sin that seeks to eat you and come devour you. As I began to have intimacy with the Spirit, I could accept and receive the fact that I am a son of God and that God loves me. The hardest verse for me to have accepted in my 28 years of life was when, Jesus, when God tells Jesus after his baptism, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Sorry, correction. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I heard in church that, that, that because I am in Jesus, that sentence I get to accept that sentence that when Jesus says, when the God says to Jesus that he is the, the beloved son with whom he is well pleased, that means that when he looks at me, he would say, Caesar, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And for many years of my life, I could not accept that until the power of the Holy Spirit said, this is true. He gave me a heart to believe. The pornography that once gripped my heart the Spirit took its hand, removed it from me, and placed the Father's heart and hand on mine. This is not a fun part of my story, but it is one that I need to share because at 28, I can tell you that I no longer live in fear of my temptation and sin. Day after day, month after month, Year after year, I have seen God protect me, shield me, empower me, and lead me away from temptation. And I don't know what you walk in with. I don't know what sin and temptation you come in with tonight, but what I learned over the years is that the Spirit of God is the one who makes freedom a reality. What do you think happened after Jesus and Satan had that encounter? This is what it says. Then the devil left him. James says that if you resist the devil, he will flee. He will flee. Jesus has overcome. And his victory is our victory. We get to live in that reality. The devil did not get his way and the devil will not have a way with you. 
but the devil won't stop trying to tempt you. Don't expect him to. In fact, after tonight, if you believe what God has said to you tonight, he will try even harder. But as you leave this place tonight, I wanna leave you with something a little bit more practical that's helped me continually resist temptation in my life. This is an acronym called REST. So I'll walk you through it very quickly and we'll pray. R is for remember your identity. As Jesus was baptized, the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is what Jesus says over all of you who are disciples of Jesus. You are a beloved son and daughter of God and your life is meant for the things our good father has set before us. Remember your identity. E stands for examine your heart and patterns. There is usually a sin behind our sin. There's something at the root of our temptations and sin, and we have to learn to recognize our temptation, and the Spirit of God can help us do that. It says in Psalm 139, the psalmist asks God to search his heart and to show him the sin that is in there, but he asks God also to lead him to life everlasting, which really means God search me and then lead me away from my sin. The S stands for surrendering to the Spirit. The Spirit of God will help reveal that sin and will guide you away from it, but it requires us to actually be obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. The Spirit will only lead you where the Father wants you, and the Father only wants you in good places. And in T, trust in God's Word. Fine, um, there were so many ways for Jesus to have fought against the devil. I mean, think about it. He could have just said, be gone. He does at the end, but that's not how he starts. He uses the very word of God to combat the devil. When the devil tried to, con- to tempt Jesus, he tried to get Jesus to question the goodness of God. And Jesus said, no, I know what, my, what the word says about my father. So may we leave this place reminded that temptation and sin do not have the last word for, over our lives, but that God has given us what we need to resist and flee our sin and temptation. He has given us himself through his spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask, may we commit ourselves to the path the Holy Spirit has for us because the path of the Holy Spirit is a path of freedom and surrender. Let's pray. God, you are seeking your people right now. You're looking at the hearts of your people and you're calling them to yourself. God, I ask that you would allow your children to hear your voice and that they would respond accordingly. That whatever sin has promised them, reveal the lies of the sin. Remind them that your promises have already found their yes and amen in Jesus and that every promise that you have made, you have fulfilled or will fulfill. You have the best track record. You've never failed, not even once. Spirit of God, move, please, we ask, in the hearts of this community, in my own heart. You will repeat what the psalmist said, Spirit of God, search my heart, and whatever grieves you, remove it. And then may we move into life everlasting. That's what we want, God. We want to experience life everlasting and the goodness that you have for us. And you're calling us to do it tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we 
engage in communion. We're, we're about to do that. Um, before we were um, talking as a leadership team, we decided we would actually uh, enter a new item onto the gathering for tonight, but we're, we felt pretty convinced that the Spirit of God was going to and has been and will continue to call the hearts of young adults tonight to flee from their sin and their temptation. This is what Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 says. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. He's calling for your lives to be fully surrendered to him. I don't know where your temptations lie or where your sins lie. I don't. Whether it was discontentment, jealousy, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, we're gonna ask. That, we're gonna have people here in the front. Uh, Lee and some others will come here. Um, we're gonna invite you to come pray, and we'll pray with you. We'll lay hands on you because we do believe in the power of prayer, and that the Holy Spirit can and will move. It's it's not just a theory. I've seen it in my own life. I have. I can't make you believe me and make you trust me, but I can only testify to what I've seen and I've seen God be good to me. And I've seen God free me. So if you want that same freedom, if you want victory over sin and death and temptation, please come. I invite you to come up here and have us pray with you and for you. You can close your eyes and... and Honestly, just pray for the people in this community that they would have the boldness and courage to ask for it because every moment that you delay this is every moment you give more of your life to the devil. The devil doesn't want anything good for you, but the Father does. So we'll engage in this for a brief time and we'll move into communion. But the altar is open to you. The throne of grace is open to you. Jesus has assured it. He's promised it. I pray that you will take, take the offer. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.